0: Welcome back to Beauty is Eternal, the art of being your best self for women. Today's episode is called The Transcontinental Search for Meaning, How Food, Mental Health, and Self-Expression Shape Karishma's Journey. They say that that which you search for may never be found. Yet on the other hand, if you do not figure out what you want, you will probably never get it. We all search for meaning in our day to day lives, trying to make sense of hardships and setbacks while keeping our hearts open and our dreams alive. Part of being human means having a diversity of experiences. Some feel quite positive, some rather negative, but they all combine to shape our experiences of life, which we in turn shape by how we perceive them. Depending, of course, on what your beliefs about reality are, Today, I have a wise guest and an expert on business and health who is going to let us in on her experiences and life lessons. Karishma Daswani is someone that has performed her search for meaning on four different continents to date in her 33 years of life. First, as she moved with her family and later as she moved on her own. Born in Nigeria to parents of Indian heritage, She left with her family to live in Dubai in her early teens. Thereafter, in her late teens, her family moved to Vancouver and she went with them. While her family stayed there, she moved alone to Europe in 2014, settling in Madrid to attain her master's in business and in London to attain a master's in public health and thereafter in Berlin to launch a natural foods company where she built up the brand as managing director. She was drawn to working with food because it was one of the few things that tied together her life experiences of living on different continents. While living in Berlin, she became involved in various aspects of mental health, including talk and somatic therapy, cold therapy, positive versus negative thinking, sound healing and meditation, among others. She also realized her true passion was art and how powerful self-expression is to the development of the self And to self health, because Karishma has such a unique background and has been involved with so many aspects of health, I am interviewing her in order to understand what has this transcontinental journey taught her about the meaning of life. What do food, mental health, and self expression have to do with it, and how do they relate to one another? How did working on her mental and emotional health solve her real-life bladder problem? In her search for meaning, what has she found? Without further ado, let's begin now. Kareesh thank you so much for being my guest today. Thank you for having me. Well, all our listeners are really excited to learn more about you and your search for meaning. So I want to start at the very beginning. Tell me a little bit about what it was like to grow up in Nigeria so my father was actually born in nigeria and my
1: mom was my mom grew up in ghana and so we grew up in a Sindhi community in lagos i would say i had very strong like Sindhi roots like i like even though i was in nigeria like that was like a huge part of it and it's funny because at the time, you know, when you're young, like, what your norm is, and then you leave, <laughs> everything changes. <laughs> what was the norm um, in Nigeria for well, you? Well, like, you know, you you don't have electricity most of the time, and I think that's the case for everyone. Like, maybe a few hours a day, if you're lucky, you have a generator it's, it's very hot and I remember doing my homework to like candle with the candlelight and just getting really sweaty and frustrated. <laughs> um, but I remember like, you know when you do have electricity and we, we did watch TV and then it goes off in the middle, you, know, you, you get used to this like, oh <laughs> all right, nothing's changed. You just have to everything goes dark and you just have to find your way around. <laughs> find some candles. Not having electricity, and maybe now it would be much more difficult with internet and stuff, but not having electricity back then was quite normal, and not having running water was also very normal, you know. And yeah, that was basically my norm till I was 11. And
0: you grew up with two brothers. Yeah. Your twin brother and one younger brother. Yes, Yes. I had a twin brother, yeah, and a younger brother who was six years younger than me. Was it different for boys and girls growing up in Nigeria, or was it very similar for all of you? I would say it was quite similar. I, like, I think
1: in Nigeria it's more gender equal than like at least the Indian culture that I grew up with. So for me, it, it didn't feel like a huge difference. Though... I think with the Indian culture, there, there was a difference. But uh, lucky for me, I had a twin brother, and I would always like leverage that. <laughs> I'm like, oh, he could do this. <laughs> we're twins, so I should.
0: <laughs>
1: it worked out well.
0: <laughs> and uh, what kind of food did you eat when you were growing up in Nigeria? I know food is very important for you. Yeah. Um, we, we ate a combination of... So we ate mostly, I would say, Indian food.
1: But some Nigerian food as well, and I actually really like Nigerian food, um, but it's very carb-heavy. That's just <laughs> you're what not I'm getting ask. yeah you're not getting much greens. And I think in general we didn't have a lot of greens except for like Indian vegetarian stuff. But it's filled with masala and spices, so you almost don't taste the vegetables.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> but yeah, I I think when I was younger, food wasn't a big part of my life. I think this only happened later when I explored other foods
0: so you moved to Dubai when you were 11 years old what was that like
1: it was very very different from Nigeria of course you know going from like West Africa to like Dubai is essentially uh, like a developed city where you have proper infrastructure but at the same time Dubai back then was very different to Dubai now so that's Dubai in the mid-90s so pre all these cities and skyscrapers and before the real estate boom and before you know foreigners could own or leasehold properties so um it was mostly desert <laughs> but there was like a pretty decent sized uh, international community it was i think culturally a big shock for me and it's so funny because i don't know if it was the like overcast sky or what it was or maybe because Lagos is like a port and you know the oil but i remember that the the seawater was always brown or always looked brownish to me and i remember in dubai seeing like blue sea you know so <laughs> i was so shocked at this you know
0: <laughs> and how did it affect you emotionally and mentally to move to somewhere so different from where you were from at mm-hmm. that age.
1: Mm-hmm. I think
0: so. I was always very
1: introverted, actually. I think that I think that actually this move wasn't as hard as the next move, because I was still quite young, but I very much kept to myself. I think I was very fortunate that I have a twin brother, so I, I was never really fully alone in all these moves and... The Experience,
0: yeah. Well, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And you went to an English speaking school yeah. when you were there?
1: Yeah,
0: I did. I went to an international school.
1: I think the school itself wasn't uh, too different from what I was used to, but I think it was just the city that was very different. And even though it was like very developed, I think again, Dubai mid 90s is different from Dubai now and was much more conservative than Dubai now. And I wasn't used to the conservative culture, even though coming from an Indian culture, but Nigeria is not conservative in that way, so I wasn't used to that.
0: Can you tell me more about how Dubai was conservative? Like, it it wasn't that bad, but like, for example, in
1: school, we had a dress code where we had to cover our shoulders and knees. This was not the case in Nigeria. (laughs) (laughs) And also, um, I, I, little things I remember, like, you know, when you go to a store and there's a magazine, if there was a woman on the cover, they would cover the woman, you know, in Sharpie, so you wouldn't really see her wow. except for, like, her face or something. And, you know, in my textbooks, like my social studies textbook, certain words
0: were blacked out. Wow. Certain countries or religions and stuff. Yeah so it sounds like because you had a twin brother you never felt totally alone did this bring your family closer moving together to a different country like that
1: yeah i mean i think it was a good move for us to be honest back then i think when i was young it was mostly under military rule i think and the situation was just not so great or it was probably worse at that particular time and my parents just wanted us to move somewhere a bit safer so you left for political
0: reasons and safety reasons yeah,
1: yeah, I mean I don't think the situation was that much different because it kind of changes frequently but I think my parents were like it's it's time for a change Mm -hmm. and they just wanted something a bit better for us so I think they moved for us
0: Oh, that's that was a good move on their part. Yeah, <laughs> very, very fortunate. I know you were not super focused on food at that time. Yeah. But out of curiosity, what did you think of the food in, in Dubai?
1: So we ate a lot of Lebanese food, and it was amazing. Actually, I grew up eating a bit of Lebanese food in Nigeria as well because there's quite a large Lebanese population there and has been for a few generations. Mm. I think they're actually maybe the largest expat population wow yeah or at least at the time from what I remember in like the 80s 90s so I I always liked Lebanese food and in Dubai it was everywhere and it was so good so (laughs) I ate a lot of that a lot of like Arabic food in general and I love it so much yeah
0: well you seem pretty excited now when you talk about it so I can tell (laughs) I can tell you like it (laughs) So after that, you moved to Canada with your family. So once again, you both, your brothers, your mother and father, picked up and moved to Vancouver. Mm -hmm. What was the reasoning behind that move?
1: Well, my parents decided to immigrate to Canada. And I think, again, it was just for us. I think it was to give us more opportunities, you know, and just a better life. And I'm very grateful I wouldn't be here In Berlin, I wouldn't be able to get a visa here, you know, if I didn't have Canadian citizenship. That's true. You have just a Canadian passport. Yeah, yeah. I had an Indian passport before, but India doesn't allow duals, so...
0: And you don't walk properly like an Indian, so... (laughs) Clearly. Canada accepted me. Yeah. And what was it like for you to move to Vancouver? What what was this experience like for you to move to once again a totally different culture? Probably even further away. Mm-hmm. Probably Nigeria and Dubai are a little Lagos and Dubai are closer together than Canada. Actually, no. Really?
1: Yeah, I think Lagos was just so far away, and then Dubai being developed, Canada as well, in some sense was much more similar. Yeah, culturally it's different, but, you know, you had same basic necessities in a way. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I think the only thing that was more common was the weather in Nigeria yeah. and Dubai. Uh, but Canada was, I think my expectations were different from reality you know and also like learning to deal with the cold for the first time i i, I did not know how to layer like, all these <laughs> things um, and um you had a weather shock I had a weather shock yeah and at school it was so different it was much more different than um nigeria and and dubai because i went to international schools there to me it was it was really different
0: what kind of differences stand
1: out to you so it was very international in a different way. My my school in Vancouver, it had it was a, it was first of all very large. Like the classes were like so many more people and um the entire school had probably 10 times the number of people or something like that. Wow. And uh so we had We had French immersion, we had IB, and we had ESL, English as a second language, and so it was really diverse. And actually, because we had ESL, and you know there are a lot of immigrants in Canada and Vancouver in that area of Vancouver, so a lot of people didn't speak English or didn't speak English well. And you know, for me. English was my first language in in Nigeria. It's the official language, although, you know, different dialect, Pidgin English. So when I got there and people were speaking to me in different languages and Punjabi and I'm not Punjabi. (laughs) So I was so confused. (laughs) I would say, in fact, it was more of a cultural shock for me, you know, because my expectations were different. What did you expect? I didn't expect it to be so international to the point that, like, that there were so many different languages around me. I think in, I think in uh, Dubai and in Nigeria, I mean, people spoke a lot of English. Nigeria definitely, it's it's the common language, and uh, being an uh, an ex British colony, you know. And Dubai, because it was just international. But uh, Vancouver, you just heard everything, you
0: know? <laughs> yeah. So, Karishma, where do you feel like you're actually from? It's <laughs> a really good question.
1: And I feel like my answer always changes depending on who's asking
0: me. Well, I'm sorry for asking you something. <laughs> I know you get asked a lot.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think that I have a tendency to automatically answer it in a way that I... Can associate with the other person better so it just automatically comes out that like with you i would say i'm canadian because i feel that you would relate more and i do it so like subconsciously i don't think about it in a way i would kind of say canadian because when i'm in india even though we have like such strong like tradition that i grew up with and my culture they look at me and they know I'm not from there just by the way that I walk, you know, even if I don't speak. (laughs) How does a typical Indian walk that's different from how you walk? I actually don't know, but I've been told this. And then in Nigeria, I obviously don't look Nigerian, but in Canada, you know, it's very inclusive, very multicultural, even though I feel more international and not as like Canadian it's still like very inclusive so in a sense I would feel more Canadian however I recently was talking to someone and I had trouble asking uh, answering this question and she said to me because she asked like where do you feel like you belong and I was like I don't know and I was like thinking about it and she was like You belong to yourself.
0: (laughs) Nation of one.
1: (laughs) She's like, like David Bowie specifically was her example. You belong to yourself. And I was like, I like that. You know, I don't belong to any country in particular. I belong to myself.
0: That's a very well said explanation for where you're from. Yeah, yeah. I liked it. What was it like for your parents when you moved to Canada? Was it hard on them yeah. to make
1: this transition? Yeah, I think it was really hard, and I think it was such a bold move, you know? It was such, like, a high-risk move, you know? <laughs> um, for my dad, like, moving and, like, you know, like, also, like, work, everything is still up in the air, and, like, your income and all of that stuff, and then moving a whole family... Um, not knowing if it was going to work out, not knowing anything. And, you know, at the time when I moved, I was like, okay, we're doing this, okay, we're doing that, you know? You just have to like assimilate again. But I didn't really think about my parents and my dad especially, because, you know, my mom wasn't working, so the whole financial burden was on my dad. I actually was only really thinking about it recently this year, and I realized, wow, like... To move a family with three kids, like you have to have a lot of guts and be like a risk taker, yeah, <laughs> you know, and and two moves, different cultures, different countries, and okay, me, I just had to again, like I said, assimilate into the school, but you know, like all the paperwork like everything you have to go through all the legal stuff and then making sure that we have food or everything that we need you know like
0: change is much easier when you're young when you're a child you adapt quicker you learn things quicker when you're older and you've got more responsibility more important decisions to make it's it's really hard actually
1: yeah i i honestly don't know how my father did it i really don't know
0: must have taken a lot of strength
1: yeah i think he is He has a lot of strength, like a lot of mental strength, mental and physical in a sense. Um, But yeah, I really am so appreciative. I actually told him that on the phone like two days ago.
0: (laughs) So you move to Canada with your family, you study there, you go to high school, you acclimate to it, Mm -hmm. and then you move on your own to Europe to Mm -hmm. study after that. So I actually did my undergrad in Canada, but
1: I didn't stay in Vancouver. I went to I went to a town called Kingston, um, and it was halfway between Montreal and Toronto. And I think I just wanted to have my own experience. I wanted to, you know, go somewhere different. And I also didn't want to go somewhere where my twin brother was going because <laughs> I wanted to finally have a different life and not just be considered a twin. <laughs> And, you know, I'm really glad that I did. I had a great time. And I feel like it was, like, my step towards developing myself, you know?
0: That was your first time living out on your own exactly. without your family. Yeah. I feel like you kind of need that
1: step, you know? I mean... I agree. Yeah. <laughs> you don't... You learn more about yourself when you're away. But, okay, so why didn't I stay in Canada? Yeah. Well, then after that, you moved. you mm-hmm. moved to Europe. Yes. So, I moved to London. I did my master's there i actually, I'm not sure why I chose London specifically. I just felt like an itch to go somewhere I hadn't been or hadn't lived. you know and uh after that i so I studied public health, and so after that, I went back to Nigeria. And then I went to India, and so I did health consulting and some public health stuff, some NGO stuff. And I don't know, I just, I felt like the moves were so natural for me, you know. It's like the, the constant in my life became the move, you know. <laughs> and then after that, I moved to Madrid and then Berlin.
0: So I've been in Europe for five, six years now, yeah. And how has living in Europe changed your relationship to your family? Has it changed it?
1: I don't know if living in Europe in particular, but being away, definitely. I have to say that I don't think I'm the best communicator using phone. So like, I don't reach out as much as I should. Or I didn't reach out as much as I should and that's something that I have changed quite a bit this year already I generally don't like using my phone too much <laughs> <laughs> I like living in the here and now but well that actually makes sense that's actually how we're meant
0: to live yeah so. yeah
1: I think that um I think it changed me and thus my relationships Living away because, like I said earlier, you discover more about yourself and you sort of transform and become yourself in a way because you grow as a person with new experiences and meeting new people. I think that my relationship with my family wasn't much different for a long time, but it's slowly changing now for the better. And I think that's because I'm putting in more effort with communication (laughs) I think and also because i've changed a lot recently that it's helping my relationships too
0: well i think our family is really really important and Mm -hmm. especially those of us that live further away yeah it becomes really important to communicate via phone and text Mm -hmm. message but it's also not easy especially for people who are not always on their phone mm-hmm. some people are stuck to their phone not everybody is yeah so for people not stuck to their phone it's a little bit
1: yeah I generally don't like to use my phone and I it's funny because I'm also quite introverted and I think that this translates as well like to the phone you know not just calling but uh, messaging I just don't really like it so much and I, I think I I actually didn't like to speak on the phone at all until maybe the last year or two. I get like if my phone was ringing I would get really anxious <laughs> I couldn't answer it
0: oh you've definitely changed a lot yeah I've changed
1: a lot <laughs> it would really give me anxiety wow <laughs> I couldn't make phone calls and voice notes were already difficult you know?
0: well having very talkative friends is definitely one way to cure that to get over it. yeah I'm very lucky <laughs> I have friends that
1: kept calling me until I answered and then finally <laughs>
0: Did your parents, did your family play any role in you deciding to get two masters, one in public health and one in business? Or what was the reasoning that you wanted to get two two masters? That's fairly unique. Yeah, I
1: don't think they played any direct role. I So I studied health as my undergrad and it was quite multidisciplinary. So um, it was like everything from the science to the social to a little bit of health psychology as well. And then I really liked the epidemiology part, and so I decided to do a master's, and I was looking into doing a master's in epidemiology, but I decided public health in the end because it was more applicable to different things, it was more broad, and that's actually one of the reasons why I chose to study at Imperial, because it's a very science-based school, so I could get the public health degree while studying more science (laughs) (laughs) and doing more research (laughs) Um, take
0: note everyone out there who is interested in studying (laughs) more about science
1: (laughs) yeah lots of cool research coming out of imperial (laughs) and then the second master's was a few years later and i didn't actually think that i would ever study business or that i would ever enjoy studying business my family like my dad my brothers my uncles my grandfathers like all you know we're entrepreneurs and so business is a big part of our culture actually in your blood. yeah my dad always says business is in your blood He tells me. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's when he tried to convince me to study it for my undergrad <laughs> um but you know I'm very analytical I love science very curious all the time but yeah, I didn't think I didn't think that I would ever study business, and I thought that like I just I had trouble. I, I took one, I think it was a management class in during my undergrad as an elective, and I found it really tough because it's just concepts, and I was like, I can't think that way. I need to visualize things. <laughs> I found it really difficult, but I think after working. I was working in India and I did so I did some I did some health promotion work and then I started doing consulting for companies creating food products and then I helped with some branding and I was like oh I actually really like this and I'm like okay let me like look more into this and then I think that sort of opened the door for me into business and I started getting interested that's when I decided to go to business school
0: yeah and you went to one of the best business schools in Europe
1: it was a good yeah it was a it was a really good experience for me so I think I think it helped me learn to think very differently you know I I like to the the way I like to explain it is in science you think in, in a linear fashion you know very logical in that linear way and I think with business you think more globally and i don't mean internationally i mean like global as in you have to piece together like different concepts from different areas and you know like there has to be like alignment and everything and so i feel that it taught me to think differently and to look at the world a little bit differently despite whether or not i am good at being an entrepreneur I <laughs> i'm would really say glad that you're very good <laughs> i'm really glad that i had the experience and very
0: modest <laughs> While living in Madrid, you had the idea for Mindfuel, the company that you ultimately founded in Berlin. Mm-hmm. Where did the idea for Mindfuel come from? Tell us a little bit more about that that experience for you.
1: Mm-hmm. It was a very organic approach, I would say. Our first product was one that I made for myself because while I was studying in business school, you know, we were always working till quite late and you know everything was shut the cafeteria was shut and all they had was um, they had vending machines which the healthiest thing were you know almonds and I also wanted something a bit more filling and uh, and sweet in this (laughs) instance so um, I started making little mixes to chia puddings for myself because and carrying it with me because I was like oh there's a water fountain I can just add water and then make this pudding for myself and so I started bringing it to uh, to school. Two other guys I was working with, they saw it, and they were like, "Hey, this is a really great idea. Let's try and sell this." So we um, tested it out a couple times at business school and we tried selling it and we went well. And then it was towards the end of our program. And we we're like, you know what? let's let's just test this out and see. And this is when we decided to come to Berlin because Madrid was not the most ideal place for this type of product. And we were actually thinking that Berlin would be really good because um, there's a huge vegan community here in Germany. Organic food is, uh, is a big trend and Berlin's a very affordable city to bootstrap. So we were like, okay, let's come test it out here. And we did, we tested it at some of the markets And we made like the fresh puddings and people liked it, so we were like, okay, let's try packaging it and selling it. So just, it was sort of one step at a time. Since then,
0: I've come out with a lot more different flavors and more products. So that was what brought you to Berlin Mm -hmm. four years ago. Mm -hmm. Since you've been here for four years now, how do you think that you've changed mentally and emotionally in this time? I think I've
1: changed a lot <laughs> I think one in one way through work it's helped me gain a lot of self efficacy in what I've been doing because I mean it was my first time starting a company and I didn't think I did think it was something I could do but I kind of just jumped into it you know <laughs> And through that, I I gained a lot of experience in different parts of the business because I I tried a little bit of everything, you know. the beginning, you have to do everything. (laughs) (laughs) And Um, learn
0: everything the hard way. Yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. Also learn what you're good at, what you're not good at, what you like and what you don't like, which I think were really important for me. And then I think personally, I've changed a lot as well. Part of that is like, through like some health issues that I went through they sort of led me on a different path to explore myself um and my mental health more you know and like emotional health let's say it's so interesting how you know something can like change your trajectory for you (laughs) you know completely yeah and I feel like uh I feel that I have personally changed a lot here in Berlin, also uh, socially, I think as well. you know, I've always been, like I said earlier, more introverted and shy, and you know, I used to be when I was oh when I was a teenager, very socially anxious, and I feel so different now and I feel so different here, <laughs> you know. So I guess it's also like maybe <laughs> three decades in coming into <laughs> yourself and becoming you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Took I think a while. That's, I think that's about the appropriate time. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Sometimes I'm a little bit slow.
0: <laughs> Would you take us down the path a little bit? Mm-hmm. You don't have to get into your health issues if you don't want to. Mm-hmm. About how you first started to sort of reflect on yourself and how any health issues might be related to other to to me- emotional issues. Mm-hmm. And what what you've done in terms of self-exploration. Mm-hmm. I don't mind talking
1: about my health issues. I can do that. I had a lot of pain, basically. Um, and it was to do with my bladder. So it was basically a long process to figure out what was wrong. Essentially, the doctors initially thought it was bladder cancer. But it wasn't. It just symptomatically presented similarly and it was very 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 painful but they couldn't figure out what the cause was so of course it must have been really scary yeah it was really scary and i think you know living away from my family i was i was used to that but that was the first time that i truly felt alone it was kind of like that was that was the time in which i was like i wish that i was with my family you know even though i have really good friends here it, it, it was just something that i i also i think always had trouble leaning on people and so i'm sure that you know i could have but initially i just i think i didn't want to i was the type of person that just wanted to do everything on my own and that made it even harder yeah. <laughs> but i felt so alone and so scared for like the first time in my life i that didn't even know what so was hard. happening to me yeah, and I am not gonna go into the details, but it was it was pretty bad. After having surgery and diagnosing properly, the doctors still didn't understand why I had this. They said that, you know, especially at my age, this was not common and my bladder was basically in the condition of an immunocompromised 80-year-old or something, yeah. I remember when I had my surgery and the morning that I woke up, there were like seven doctors in the room. They're all speaking and they're all just like, doesn't look good. Doesn't look good. I was like, oh my God, no. <laughs> I woke up to that at like oh, seven. No. But no, anyway, no. I decided to sort of explore on my own and try and figure it out. Cause I was like, how am I supposed to fix this properly if I don't know what's causing it?
0: That's logical. Yeah.
1: So I tried so many different things, like, not only to figure out what it was, but also different types of solutions, you know. So, you know, I went, went to my urologist and I did, a, like, everything she said. Unfortunately, a lot of it was taking antibiotics for, like, I don't know, six months, no, almost a year, something like Daily. that. Daily? Daily, yeah. It really, like, affected my body a lot. And in retrospect, I wouldn't have done that knowing what I know now but okay at the time you, were you know searching I was, for an answer you yeah were and scared. I was pretty desperate you know yeah yeah and then I had to go in for these like catheters but anyway <laughs> that was all for the symptoms uh so I was still searching for the cause um I did everything from I went to a naturopath I found out about my immune system and how how bad it actually was you know and I started doing acupuncture. I did. I did so many different things because I read about how you know bladder issues might be related to, or like has comorbidities with um, gut issues. So I tried a lot of different things. And then I was listening to a lecture on how suppressing your emotions can manifest physically as cancer or heart disease, and I was like, hmm. I don't know, like, people told me that, you know, and someone mentioned to me that, you know, the bladder in Chinese medicine has something to do with fear. And, you know, I I never really believed in that. I was like, no. And when I heard this, it was coming from a doctor that I respect. And so I was like, okay, let me dig a little bit into this. And, yeah, there's a ton of research on this, on how, like, suppressing emotions can lead to cancer. and And in the lecture, he was describing the type of person that suppresses their emotions he called it an emotion stuffer and i was listening to it and i was like oh my god this is exactly me he's describing me so it kind of like it was a bit of a wake-up call for me and i was like okay if it can lead to cancer it can lead to what i have so i need to figure this out
0: also very logical yeah. that you <laughs> really followed this very scientifically yeah I'm of, impressed. <laughs> it's
1: like how my brain always works. <laughs> so um, so then I decided to, I think I wasn't mentally ready to start therapy. Um, that took me a while. I was like, no, first I'm going to read everything. I was always like, oh, I can always do everything on my own. Mm. Not the case. <laughs> <laughs> but I did learn a lot and I started somatic experiencing I actually first heard about somatic on the Tim Ferriss podcast, like maybe two years before that. And I heard about it and I was like, mm, interesting, but not for me. <laughs> <laughs> and then I was thinking about it. And actually you had mentioned somatic to me. so I was like, okay, let me, let me look into this. And I was like, I was, I think more open to starting somatic experiencing before therapy. And so I started that and then therapy later. And I think between both of these things and just me always wanting to read and learn and understand myself more and then starting to meditate which really helps you understand your or like first of all pay attention to your thoughts. Wow it's crazy what I learned about myself like one through speaking like all the metacognitive stuff but another through meditation you know just this thing about watching your thoughts or catching your thoughts. I had no idea that I was thinking in certain patterns and I had no idea how destructive they were to myself and how negative they were and I was living my life in these thoughts like that was just me that dialogue I sort of became these thoughts you know it was so subconscious but when I started paying attention to them it was kind of like a wake-up call I don't have to be thinking like this, you know? <laughs> I don't have to be thinking so negatively. I didn't know I was thinking so negatively. Yeah. And then once you're aware of this, you can change it. You can catch your thoughts and stop them.
0: It's hard to change something you don't know that is happening. Yeah. It's hard to make a, a real change if you're unaware of something. Yeah, yeah.
1: So, yeah, I think the I think somatic and the therapy... Step one is yeah. definitely
0: awareness.
1: Yeah, it really helped me start talking about things, things that happened in my life that I was suppressing. And you start releasing by talking and you start emotionally releasing. And and then I also tried to do different, like other, I was looking into other release techniques and like different things you could do. And like a lot of it is also physical. I needed to think about this stuff because I had really buried it so deep down. And some of it like, came up you know i i I knew that it was there but i just i didn't want to think about it so i have been reading a lot about letting go and about letting go of emotions and like negative emotions and first of all is like you know how we have different coping strategies like suppression repression also expression like when we complain about things (laughs) another coping mechanism is like eating or like alcohol and things like that and um, I'm trying to pay attention to when I use any of these coping strategies with negative emotions and I'm trying to learn to be aware of my negative emotions that I'm holding inside of me and release them and I'm also learning about positive emotions and how there are things that we can still release there because there's some negative I don't really want to use the word negative but there are some associated feelings that we could also release for example with love there's attachment you know Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. love is very giving you know whereas attachment is a little bit taking Mm -hmm. you know like Mm -hmm. we feel that we deserve or something like that ownership exactly yeah i'm learning about uncoupling this you know trying to release and it's it's crazy that when you start releasing some of this like you feel like a burden is lifted off of you, you know?
0: Has your health improved? Has yes. your bladder health improved by yes. learning to release? Wow. So it's been a year wow. now since this is I've amazing.
1: Had, yeah, it's been a year now since I've had a big flare-up. I, I My birthday was two weeks ago, uh, under two weeks ago, and the last time I had a big flare-up, it had started on my birthday last year. And so... Like, on my birthday, I was, like, so happy. I was, like, it's been one year now. That was the best present you could have yeah, gotten. Yeah, it really was. It was, was. was a good health. Yeah, it really was. It was, like, an accomplishment, you know? And it was about a year ago that I actually started the somatic and, like, diving into all of this stuff. It, just a little bit after my birthday, I think.
0: So you're doing both somatic mm-hmm. experiencing mm-hmm. and you're doing therapy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you're also involved in meditation. Yeah, yeah
1: and then I'm generally very And you also going to
0: sound healing I also yes. know you've gotten interested yes, in Yes. a lot of the gong baths and stuff and I'm very
1: interested in sound healing and how it, it different sound frequencies can affect our nervous system and it's kind of interesting like with the eegs and yeah I I'm, I'm trying to read about everything that can like reduce my activation yeah. level <laughs> you know Oh, I wanted to say also what I found very interesting is that all of this has helped me become more spiritual, actually, and I think I didn't believe anything before, you know, again, being very scientific-minded, and I don't know what has changed, but something has made me... Yeah, made me look at things differently and made me more spiritual. But again, I'm approaching it through a scientific way. <laughs> yeah. well,
0: what does it mean for you to be more spiritual?
1: I think, sort of, believing in possibilities.
0: Believing in things that you can't necessarily
1: see or measure? Yeah, or... yeah, because I'm learning that what I have always believed is things we could only measure from our five senses Mm -hmm. in a sense you know i mean this is just our perspective animals have their own senses (laughs) that you know like a dog can know who was in that spot five hours when it's gonna rain yeah and like to us like if I could tell who was right here if I could smell who was here five hours ago that would be like you know me being psychic (laughs) but to a dog this is like his life you know it's normal you know so I'm really realizing that I was thinking in such a limited way you know and I just have to be a little bit more open to possibilities and I started reading more about physics and it's making me really open open to possibilities,
0: yeah. What kind of things do you think might be possible now that you previously would have said, no way? That doesn't make any sense. My my scientific brain is going red alert, false, (laughs) don't like. (laughs) What kind of stuff now do you think you would look at and you'd say, actually well, maybe that is possible, or actually, hey, that that kind of makes sense, even yeah. though my senses can't totally register. Yeah, you know, like, something as small as,
1: like, paying attention to, like, uh, energy or intuition, and I think in the past, I would have been like, oh, you know, I feel this from this person, because subconsciously, probably, I am noticing things that they do, or things that they say, and it's just, my subconscious mind is piecing this together and thus i feel this quote-unquote energy from them or whatever but now i'm like okay that could be part of it but okay so basically now i feel like that rather than thinking only in terms of newtonian physics you know like what i see what i hear what i feel is real and that's it i'm actually limiting myself and i'm limiting my brain and not allowing myself to see what may or may not be there Mm -hmm. and then you know when you when you read about quantum physics a little bit and you read about how like paying attention to this this one experiment can change whether light or matter is perceived as a particle or a wave and it's like wait what so my consciousness can somehow you know alter this or influence this you know that's kind of mind-blowing in a way it's like simple experiment from i i think it was like earlier in the 1900s yeah, I'm realizing there's so much of it is actually energy related. If you think about atoms and even the nucleus, which is where the matter is, a lot of it, a lot of like the quantum particles are energy related, energy and light related. It's so fascinating. Mm-hmm. Basically, I think that there's a lot of different waves and stuff, you know, and we can only see a little, very limited wavelength and we know that but it just goes to show that there's so much out there just because we can't make sense of it or can't harness it doesn't mean it doesn't somehow influence us
0: Mm -hmm. so in addition to opening up your mind to possibilities you hadn't previously imagined and learning to stop stuffing your feelings Mm -hmm. so to speak according to what this the scientist had said Mm -hmm. in addition to that what kind of things do you do to allow yourself to healthfully express yourself Mm. i know you're you're interested in art do you find that that is a good way for you to release things or what works for you i've been trying to explore like emotional
1: release techniques and i do still find it difficult to be honest you know a lot of stuff is physical when they talk about there's stuff that people use for like tremoring their bodies to release something to do with the fascia I do like art I don't think I'm doing it as much as I should I think for me I am learning personally that I need to feel more and really trying to allow myself to do it so when I feel sad in the past I would just move on I just wouldn't even allow myself to feel it and i would just move on and everything shut it would be off. fine. yeah and now you know it starts and it's actually kind of funny because for me to cry or for something to come come up for me to want to cry it's actually difficult in a way because i was so used to shutting it off that for me to start crying is like a big deal and when i'm sad i'm like Okay, Karishma. No, feel it. Feel it. <laughs> it's a learning process. <laughs> it's a learning process. Yeah, you're like <laughs> teaching yourself brave. how to cry. You know. Yeah. And so I would try and just let the feeling like encompass me in a way, and I would just let myself feel sad, and I would let myself cry, and I would cry and cry, and then I would, and then afterwards I'm like, whoa. I feel so much better i just <laughs> released that feeling i feel better now i can move on <laughs> like i've let go of that mm-hmm. and i think in the past i wouldn't let go of it i just like you said i just buried it and just like you know shut it off and by shutting it off i didn't release it i was still holding it inside of me and it just manifested differently my muscles around my bladder probably just got tighter and it's like squeezing yeah. everything you know
0: or in my back or whatever you know Um, choosing not to focus on something a feeling when it comes up doesn't get rid of it it doesn't release it it just stores it inside of you yeah because it needs to be expressed yeah
1: and i and i thought that that was me being strong i was like nope i just can't really feel it because whatever i'm strong and i don't need to feel it but that was like the opposite of strength i think it takes a lot of strength to allow yourself to feel it and it's so healthy To allow yourself to feel it and then move on. You know, you've processed the emotion. Mm -hmm. And I think I've had, I think I still have years and years of unprocessed emotions and trauma Mm -hmm. inside of me that, you know, I'm working on releasing and sort of re-experiencing in order to release.
0: Well, you are certainly not the only one. Mm -hmm. So hopefully hearing this will help other people Mm -hmm. who similarly have had difficult experiences and they... At the time they were young or they didn't properly understand how to experience and release the the feelings that came up Mm -hmm.
1: yeah when we're young like a lot of stuff happens to us and then we create coping mechanisms and a lot of these coping mechanisms are just for protection like not allowing
0: ourselves to feel yeah it's a it's a protective method yeah and, and then, it works very well. <laughs> it works very
1: well initially, but now it's sort of harming us in the long run
0: mm-hmm. when we're
1: not aware of it. And we're not aware that we can change it. And we're strong enough now to deal with our emotions. Yeah. When we were young, we weren't strong enough when things were just happening to you.
0: This is very true. Yeah.
1: So this makes me a big advocate for therapy, by the way. <laughs> I feel like everyone should do it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So I want to switch themes a little bit. Mm -hmm. And I want to talk to you about female archetypes. Okay. So there is a book by the author Dana James. Mm -hmm. I've discussed it with you before. And she says that there are four ways women use to build their self-esteem and these different ways affect how they eat. So the first type of woman gets its self-esteem through nurturing others. So this would be sort of the mother archetype. The second archetype gets its self-esteem through career and work accomplishments. The third archetype gets its self-esteem through being seductive and by having lots of love interests, by looking very good, by their appearance. Mm -hmm. While the final archetype gets their self-esteem based on emotions and dreams. You can take this quiz online, and I did take Mm -hmm. this quiz. Mm -hmm. And I was the Emotions and dreams archetype. (laughs) I'm not surprised. (laughs) I can see that. Well, so then these relationships, so for instance, the nurturer will maybe forget to eat because she's so busy taking care of the family. Mm -hmm. The career woman will put off eating because she's working on a presentation and then eat whatever is available at the time that she finishes. The seductress woman will eat whatever will keep her body in a nice condition and the emotional and, and dreamer type will eat, for instance, when they are happy or sad, more based on emotions than, mm-hmm. than for other reasons. Hearing this, I would say that I'm
1: also a dreamer. <laughs> I definitely eat emotionally when I'm happy and
0: sad.
1: <laughs> it does sound like there is like some truth or logic behind it
0: it's certainly a simplification yeah but i can really think of most of the women i know and they i think fall into one or two of these areas
1: yeah it sounds like like one could be a combination Mm -hmm. of these with like some more dominant and some less so hearing this like I can definitely think of friends that would fall under like for example the career driven one yeah and basically this is showing how our psychology and h- how we how we feel our self-worth how all of this is related to food and it is you know a lot of food issues stem from mental health you know we always think oh I just need to eat the right diet or i just need to be put on the right diet I just need all to do, lose three
0: pounds yeah and
1: it's just it's all it all has to do with what i eat then i can lose three pounds or pounds or exercise
0: or i had a very stressful day today i deserve that whole cake <laughs> yeah you know
1: exactly so we we always think that it's just what we eat or what we exercise but it's so much deeper than that being able to eat the right foods it's not just knowing what to eat but it's like being able to eat it and that also has to do with how we feel and you know mentally and you know stress yeah we i think we simplify it a lot and we don't really understand the root cause like for me being the dreamer i think i think (laughs) (laughs) i can talk a little bit about my food issues Um, This is a personal but I'll share. (laughs) So I, I recognize that I always ate very emotionally and I think that I would binge eat a lot. And because of this, I, I would binge eat everything, like even healthy food. Like I would roast like an entire like cauliflower, like huge tray of roasted cauliflower <laughs> and I would binge eat it till my stomach I have,
0: hurt. I have done this with Brussels sprouts. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah, or like, but then I'd also do ice cream, like I could do everything. It doesn't matter. But the, the key point was because I was binge eating, I would restrict the type of food that I would eat so that I would feel better about it psychologically. So that's why I was like, okay, I'm allowed to do it if I (laughs) eat these foods, you know. But it's not really, you're not really fixing the root cause of the problem, right? The urge to overeat. Yeah, exactly. Comes from suppressed
0: emotions or emotional pain. Exactly.
1: I figured out for myself that the reason why I needed to overeat so much was because while I was eating, during the time I was eating, it was calming for me. That's why I would just keep eating, no matter how much my stomach hurt, because I
0: Your it calmed my nervous relax. system mm-hmm. exactly.
1: And I had a very it was very specific the way I had to do it. You know, like and even if I had already eaten dinner out, I would have to come home and eat to calm myself. It was a ritual, like yeah, a, a relaxing. I would ritual. have to calm my stress levels exactly, mm-hmm. my 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 nervous system which is why I have gone to sound healing for the nervous system calming. So I would always have to listen to something or watch something. So basically something with voices by myself while eating. And what I understood from this is, you know, humans, we feel calm when we hear voices because it's like community, you're safer, you know, babies, how they fall asleep like at a party and then you put them in the room and then suddenly they wake up. It's because, you know, it's sort of like, I think, inbuilt in us that when we hear voices, it's like, we're safe. At the same time, I personally did not feel safe. So I felt like I needed to be in a room alone in order to allow myself to eat for my nervous system to go down Mm -hmm. for, like, parasympathetic, like, digestion, you know. And it was the combination of these three things that I had to do. And when I realized this, that this is what I was doing just to calm myself, and thus restricting because I felt bad afterwards. I was like, okay, I need to break this pattern. I decided that I wasn't going to restrict what I ate, except for I don't eat gluten. So like, I just continue with that one. (laughs) Not restrict like any other foods. I decided, okay, so when I eat now, I'm not allowed to listen to anything or watch anything. I still often eat alone just because, you know, You know, I am alone a lot of the time. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I thought that I had to break that habit, like that coupling, you know. And eat more conscientiously. Exactly, exactly. So actually what I do often is I, I often go out and eat by myself. And it's like an exercise for myself. And I'm not allowed to use my phone so there's like literally nothing else for me to do um okay yeah I'm, I'm listening to voices but i'm like then i'm not in my like it like confined space you're, with a shut door you know it's
0: not you're not displacing yourself you're conscious you're yeah it's I'm, not an activity where you are trying to forget where you are and what you're doing
1: exactly it's not in order to just uh, tune out and calm myself mm-hmm. yeah so yeah, it's been working well for me just um, uncoupling that, but it's, it's hard, you know, you mm. have to be so conscious of it. Like mm. I'll sit down to eat and I'm like, oh, and I just like, I <laughs> like eat my favorite foods. <laughs> you know? And I'm like, no, you're not allowed to do that, you know? And it's, it's, it's like an itch. It's like an itch that you need to scratch, but you just have to like not do it. And that's also why I like to go out and eat because it it makes it a bit easier not using my phone. You don't have the same temptations. You don't have the same temptations, exactly. And you're also not alone. And you're not alone, that's true. So it's helping me a lot, I think, psychologically. It's helping me a lot dealing with this psychologically. And also I'm trying to do other things that calm me, like knowing that I'm eating because I, I want to feel calm. I'm like, okay, what else makes me feel calm? like reading meditating like do these things instead when i feel stressed because i know that i'm not hungry you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, but it takes so much actually not necessarily just willpower because i feel like me restricting food took much more self-discipline and willpower it takes kindness yes it takes kindness the more you do it the easier it gets it's like you're rewiring stuff in your brain you're like changing these habit pathways you know Yeah, next step will be to eat healthier, but right now I'm just allowing myself to eat.
0: (laughs) I can understand you very well, as I'm sure a lot of women can understand you. Mm -hmm. I remember I used to binge eat vegetables at times when I was very stressed. So like you, I chose something very healthy. And I remember one time I ate a kilogram of carrots, it's like two pounds or something. Mm -hmm. And a friend of mine called me and she's like, oh, let's go out, let's go dancing. And I said... I can't go out. I can't go anywhere. I'm I'm way too fat. I just ate a kilogram of carrots. (laughs) I can't leave my house now. (laughs) I was like, the party's over. It's too late. (laughs) But for me, at that point in time, I couldn't uh, leave home if I'd just eaten a lot. Mm -hmm. Because then I would be fat. Even Mm -hmm. if I just ate a kilogram of broccoli, which will not make you fat, Mm -hmm. I would feel fat so at at those times i could only eat a lot if i wasn't going out afterwards yeah
1: yeah it's so funny how these things have played such a big role in our life and they stem from an entirely different place Mm -hmm, you know mm -hmm. so it's like sort of understanding why we're doing these things and understanding what the cause is and it for me i always like like i said earlier i like to understand (laughs) (laughs) and it helps me then change because when i can understand something like switch something in Mm -hmm. my brain that i can you know do something about it
0: do you think that your attitude towards food and food being such a constant for you could be related to you growing up or living in so many places that in some places you you had your family at first and then you didn't have your family anymore. Mm-hmm. You had different languages, mm-hmm. different culture. Do you think that it could have also your strong interest in food been tied to the fact that it was one of the few things that was always yeah around?
1: Yeah, that's true. I mean, I like so many different types of food, and I think having lived in so many different places, that's one thing you always have, that you can always explore. I think it's a way that I explore new cultures is through their food. And I notice that I do this whenever I travel, you know? When I travel, like rather than like sightseeing and stuff, I'm like, okay, I'm in this country and I need to eat all the food. <laughs> <laughs> I need to try like everything local, you know? To eat all the street food <laughs> and to experience experience the city locally through the food. So
0: food is one of the ways, your top way potentially of understanding a place when you visit mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. You want to know the people, see what they eat. Exactly, it's it's. That's I think so it's a huge part of our
1: culture. And I don't know if it's just my perspective because in Indian culture, like food plays a huge role, and like you eat together. You know, it's like very social. Yeah, it, in my head, I think that. Um, I do believe that I can learn a lot from the culture through the food. And then on top of that, I enjoy it. I, I feel like I can taste everything so strongly. <laughs> and smell everything.
0: Well, you're making me want to eat out more when I travel. Usually when I travel, I don't eat out very much. I'm not very mm. food-focused, usually. Yeah,
1: it's my primary focus when I travel. That's so interesting. I have to
0: say, it's the reason why I haven't been to Cuba
1: yet. I'm really curious about Cuba but people keep telling me the food isn't so good. And I'm like, oh, that kind of disappoints me a lot.
0: (laughs) We should take a trip together and switch roles as an experiment. I will just spend my time going to different places and eating. (laughs)
1: And I don't know what I'll do for that <laughs> I'm like, what do I do? You have to just walk around
0: to different <laughs> places and take pictures.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, I'm also not good at photos. That's uh, unless it's photos of food, I guess. Um, but then I don't even share it. I just take it for myself, and then I never look at it again.
0: <laughs> While talking to you, I can really understand why you started a company based on food. <laughs> it's clearly something you're pretty passionate about. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what does life mean for you at this point in time?
1: Hmm.
0: i think in the past that
1: it's always been you know like you have to achieve this you have to do this like get to the next step of life and right now not having a partner or you know a child (laughs) and not anywhere close to that yet um you know i think i would have if i was still thinking that way i would have felt very disheartened that you know, oh, I haven't achieved. Oh, I haven't gotten to this point yet. So I'm not moving forward in life. But fortunately, since I've changed this mentality, I think life to me, like a, okay, it's about experiences. My experiences, my relationships are very, very important. I realize love is actually one of the most important things in this world. Mm-hmm. You know, and if I had heard my myself say this like a few years ago. I, I would not believe that, you know, I would be saying this because I didn't value emotions so much. (laughs) But I really realize that love is so important and putting value on your relationships. And the other thing for me is purpose in a sense. I feel this drive towards doing something that benefits the universe okay, it sounds really big <laughs> but what that I mean it sounds
0: logical actually right?
1: so I, I was thinking about this and I was thinking how as a human being on this planet I am taking a lot of natural resources okay sunlight yeah but I'm, I'm, I'm taking water I'm taking food from the earth like you know I, everything I'm eating it comes from the planet also for me to be here and live this life there are so many people suffering in this world. I'm in such a fortunate position, and I feel like because I, because I can, I should, in a sense, give back. And I truly feel this purpose of like, doing something to give back to the world somehow, and this is what I would like to do in the future, you know? Whether it be something to do with the environment, or, or you know, something health-related, I want to be able to use my skills, so A, figure out what my skills are, that I can leverage in order to somehow benefit the world. And I was thinking about how often we do things just for economic pers- you know, economic gain, you know, and I just feel like it's so important. Yes, we can make money, we don't even need that much money, but we can make money doing things that benefit others as well. Also, I was thinking about how money in the world is where the money in the world is going and invested and you know where again we invest in things for economic gain yeah that's fine but i just feel like money needs to be funneled to the right places like the right resources you know and i feel so passionately about the environment and benefit benefiting humans I have a little bit of a pet peeve when I think about the fashion industry and money spent on this, but I love creativity at the same time, but I just feel like uh, it's a bit of a pity for me, you know, because uh, the world, like, we're, we're so lucky to be living on this planet, you know, we're so lucky to be here and be able to feel. And for us who are all able to live comfortable lives you know we should do stuff to help others you know it sounds very like cliche in a way but you know i feel it so deeply inside me
0: you know it sounds to me do you think that the future for you will hold something that involves working in some capacity in a way that's good for the planet good for people yeah because you sound Very passionate about this type of work. I do. And I think this is why I actually studied
1: public health to begin with. You know, having grown up in Nigeria and seeing a lot, I wouldn't be surprised if I came full circle, but doing it through like an entrepreneurial lens, let's say.
0: What advice would you give to somebody? So let's say that there's somebody who's listening to this and they realize that they have emotions they haven't dealt with they want to understand life a little bit better, maybe open their mind a little bit, what advice would you give them? Where would you tell them to, to start? I would probably start with therapy. <laughs> well, and that's logical.
1: Yeah, because then you just start talking. Uh, there's so much inside of us that we haven't thought about for so many years that we've like buried deep down. And once you start talking, you start bringing all of this stuff up. And only after you bring it up can you start processing it. Mm, very true. And I think a lot of... And, and we can learn more about ourselves through this. We can learn more about how we think through this. And how we can even potentially change our thinking patterns. And that changes how we feel about ourselves as well. Completely. You know? And I know that money is a big reason why a lot of people haven't started therapy. But there are, you know, through tech and stuff, there are solutions that are cheaper platforms and stuff so so i really think that uh i really think therapy would be a good start a a
0: good first step yeah yeah for some self-assessment
1: yeah yeah because like I said earlier about myself, you know, I thought I could do everything on my own and I'm that type of person where I want i want to do, I'm very determined and I'll learn everything and read everything. But, you know, in something like this, the relationship matters a little bit. And, Sometimes
0: you, you need a little help.
1: Yeah. And it's hard to admit that. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but I'm so glad that I did. And I realized it's my ego sort of holding me back. I've been learning a lot about my ego and even when you feel like you have low self-esteem and low self-worth, a lot of it is still ego-related. But yeah, yeah. You drop that and start therapy.
0: <laughs> and then you can deal with it later. <laughs> would, you, would you advise somebody, let's say that you were talking to a couple parents, and they're thinking about moving to another continent with their children. Mm -hmm. Would you advise people who may potentially move around with their children a few times to do it? Would you say that in the end it's okay for a child to to move around to different locations if certain requirements are met? Do you think it was really hard for you? How do you feel about moving children around a, a few times before they're 18? So I think it is hard because you don't have this consistency,
1: right? At the same time, like, you learn to be more adaptable. But you need some sort of grounding. And I think that if you're doing that, the family unit is so important. And, like, I think the support from the family is very important. And I think as parents, there are big responsibilities in that in being aware of um, how your child feels because they're going through a lot and probably aren't even able to before even communicating what they feel but they're, they're not even able to understand themselves what they feel so I think that being able to communicate openly about things is important and understand, understand the child
0: so as long as a child has parents that can really nurture it and understand and provide family stability mm-hmm. you think it you think it it can work because it will make the child as you said quite adaptable yeah probably make them much more open to international travel later in life yeah. the world will seem maybe a bit smaller for them or yeah more. definitely
1: definitely feel smaller and you know you'll learn to make new friends and stuff but i think paying attention to emotional health is very important mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and being sensitive you know Mm -hmm. (laughs) because children are sensitive some of them you just whether or not you realize it Mm
0: -hmm. before i let you go today i want to ask you three final questions that i'm asking all of my guests Mm -hmm. so i know you're a very avid reader so this will either be very easy for you or very hard for you Mm -hmm. because you have to choose one oh can you choose one book to recommend to our listeners oh that's so tough Uh, Wow, that's really really tough.
1: (laughs) Okay, so it also depends on who the listener is because I have different groups. I have different books that appeal to different people. Um, So in this case, it's really really hard for her. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, wait, let me. I can. Can I say three? No. (laughs) Break the rules. Okay. Then, then it's since negotiate okay. too. Negotiate <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, uh, since we're talking a lot about emotions, I really liked the book *Letting Go* uh, by Dr. David Hawkins, and it is a little bit spiritual. And if you're not, you just have to read past that you know but there's a lot about letting go of emotions which i feel that we all sort of need to do i need to read this book it's, it's so good it's a long read but it's really good and then the other one similar like sort of a similar topic it's called the, the courage to be disliked
0: especially for a woman sometimes yes. it's hard for us if we feel like we're not pleasing people yes we're upsetting people. Yes. So it it's, gives you advice in that direction?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean it's it's on the psychology behind it, but it's really interesting. And it's an I would say it's a much easier read than the other book. Yeah.
0: If you want, you can name the third. <laughs> <laughs> okay. This uh
1: oh, I have so many. <laughs> Just three. <laughs> okay, well, um, Since I was talking about physics earlier, I like uh, The Self-Aware Universe by Dr. Amit Goswami.
0: Ah, you recommended that to me. Yes. Or I have that at my house. Yes. And so it sort of
1: tries to bridge the gap a little bit and show you the possibilities, so to speak, between physics and spirituality.
0: That sounds really cool. Yeah. What is the best thing for you to do that's healthy in a time of stress? What's your best advice for handling stress in a healthy way?
1: Mm. I'm still learning this, to be honest. (laughs) Uh Uh (laughs) Because I have to say, I do feel stressed
0: very easily. Um, You've already mentioned a couple of things, though.
1: Yeah, yeah. Meditation's been a big thing in my life, and I'm really enjoying the sound healing But, you know, recently in dealing with stressful situations, interpersonal situations, I feel like writing down what I want to say and explaining how I feel has really helped me release. Because sometimes, you know, it's not appropriate to to say... That's true. Yeah. And so when I write it down exactly as I would like to say it, and not only that cuz that's also just very emotional sometimes but really explaining the reasons why i feel this and why they mean something to me and going into the details it first of all helps me understand myself more and why i'm and why i'm feeling this and secondly it actually helps me release some of the stress
0: you know that's great advice yeah that makes so much sense yeah when you write it out, it's like in some way you release the words mm-hmm. so that they're no longer inside of you and you free yourself in mm-hmm. some way. That's very think, good advice. Yeah, and
1: I think the key is not only writing it how you would send it, but also explaining why. And it really helps. I I, I really feel that that part particularly helps me to release it because then... I'm I'm really getting to the root of it, in a sense.
0: That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. (laughs) So my last question to you is, what place in the world do you recommend everybody visit? Oh, like on a holiday? On a holiday, yeah, for example. This is also really tough. There's so many places. You can can only pick one this time. (laughs) I was generous the first time. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad. (laughs) But Mm -hmm. you were giving really good information, so I wasn't really being generous. Generous to everyone else. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Um, So, one trip that was really special to me was when I went to the north of India. We drove up from Delhi, up to Himachal Pradesh, to um, Dharamsala, where the Dalai Lama lives and then from there to Manali and up to Leh and that drive up the Himalayas to Leh in Ladakh was breathtaking and uh, what I found really interesting and also there were a bunch of lakes up there at really high altitudes and we went through I think it was the highest motorable motor drivable drivable <laughs> pass in the world and that like I think it was something like six thousand five hundred meters. Does that sound right? It could be right. Yeah. Anyway, it was a highest motorable pass, and uh, basically on that drive, we we saw so many different um, climates and. Uh, it was just it was just so beautiful and so interesting, and it was really interesting for me to see how people lived because you know it's kind of almost like desert like up there because it's so dry. by the way, you can only go in the summer because that's otherwise the roads are all frozen. It's also a very scary drive
0: to be honest, but it sounds breathtaking and yeah, unforgettable, yeah,
1: yeah, and it was really cool to see that people live in these like little villages that exist because they you know create little irrigation systems from like the rivers that come down the himalayas you know and seeing that you see like how people used to live and you can see like the cow dung that they're drying on the sides of the buildings they're like houses huge things have gone down because they use it as energy you know it's like a time capsule it is and it was just fascinating to me to see that when you know? when did you visit this was when I did some public health work in Dharamsala actually and
0: so it was about seven years ago seven years ago yeah I'm definitely adding it to my list yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's also, you know, going to Dharamsala is quite spiritual as well. See, you were spiritual then already, you just didn't know yet. Yeah, Yeah.
1: it's a very interesting place, and it's so different from the rest of India. Oftentimes in India you feel a lack of space, because it's such a populated country, and up there there's nothing but space. Wow. It's very interesting, and also interesting seeing different cultures, because in Ladakh, I think the the local population is muslim but there's a huge tibetan population so you have a very interesting mix of ladakis and tibetans who look kind of similar in a way because they're from similar region right but totally different religions <laughs> and living together it's
0: quite quite cool that sounds really interesting yeah yeah i really like that trip Well, thank you so much for sharing all of that information and for being my guest today, Karishpa. Thank you for having me. I loved having you. (laughs) Bye. Bye.